Years ago, innovation was a huge buzzword in the corporate world, and every company was throwing the term around without truly understanding what it meant. And when they did understand what it meant, they dropped the term quicker than a hot potato. Now, there seems to be a new buzzword out there, psychological safety. Psychological safety seems to be one of those hot ticket items right now in the corporate world, but I fear that it may meet the same fate as innovation some years down the road, like a trend that was passing by or the flavor of the month. Therefore, we felt it might be worth holding an informed discussion around psychological safety and tell you that it has always been around and that it's here to stay if you want to tap into the best talents of your team. If we begin looking at employees as people first and then employees second, we will fully appreciate the human condition and that a person's response to fear is natural. Because this response can stifle creativity in the workplace and overall well-being of employees, perhaps this is an opportunity for people in the workplace to interact with one another in a different way. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Pioneering Podcast, part of the FreedomCast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Shiansky, and in this episode, we're going to be kicking off a three-part series regarding psychological safety and how it can impact creativity and innovation in the workplace. I won't be doing this series alone, though. I am happy to introduce Jane Arinaya, who brings 20 years of experience working in the human resources and learning and development space. Jane now works for one of the top leadership development companies in the world that helps clients create work environments where people thrive. Having worked with an international hotel brand, Jane brings global experience from various hotels in Canada, Bermuda, New York, United Kingdom, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai. Jane is certified in psychological safety with Lead Factor and continues to help leaders better understand the importance of the space to overall well-being and productivity. So Jane, I want to welcome you first and foremost to the Thought Pioneering Podcast. Happy to have you here. Oh my gosh, Kyle. I am so, so happy to be here and to have a discussion with you about this important space. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I know I gave you just a brief introduction here, but I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to the audience and to the listeners. Yeah, well, you know, I work in in the HR and learning space for a number of years. And one of the things that I was always very passionate about is, is people and behavior in the workplace. I have a degree in psychology, but knew I didn't want to get into clinical psychology and became very interested in organizational development and this whole idea of keeping people happy and engaged in the workplace, particularly when it comes to affecting, you know, business outcomes. So I did my postgrad in HR, working for a luxury hotel brand, and was afforded the opportunity to work in six different countries. And it was then that I began to appreciate that regardless of what part of the world that you were from, that we all have this human need to belong and contribute our best in the work that we do. So, so I now work for a leadership development company, love what I'm doing because I get to help organizations in different industries help them develop cultures and work environments where people thrive. So, yeah. So I'm happy to be here and talk more about this. Absolutely. You know, it's kind of crazy how we met. I mean, we work on the same team. So yeah, uh, if anybody yeah. looks at our LinkedIn, you'll know what company that is. But <laughs> no, I, it was funny how when we started talking, I know you gave that that presentation on psychological safety. You invited a couple of colleagues to join and we joined and then you you called us for some feedback. And then organically, this discussion came out and about two months later, here we are, film or film, I would say filming, but recording a podcast on psych safety. And not only just that, but three part, a three part series. We, we, as we were discussing these things, we're like, wow, this has the opportunity to fill up at least two hours worth of content, but let's try and break it up into three, three series. So a three part yeah. series. So yeah, I'm definitely happy to have you here. I, our discussions have been 
nothing but insightful the past couple of times we've talked. I know you've been super busy flying all over the place talking about psych safety as well. So um, I'm very excited to have you here. Yeah. Well, you know what, Kyle, you're just going to have to keep me in check here today because I could go on and on in different directions when it comes to this space. Um, and so I'm going to have to rely on you to keep me in check. So, all right, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> so, yeah. So we'll go ahead and get kicked off. I know the, we have a list of topics, a lot of things we want to talk about. So first and foremost, what is psychological safety? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I really, I'm glad that we're talking about this because so many people are very, um, kind of intimidated by the word psychological safety, particularly when you have leaders who are not psychologists or counselors, right? And yes, it is a buzzword. However, the reality is, is it's been around since the very first human interaction, if you really think about it, right? I love the fact that because of the events of the world that workplaces are really focused on being more human-centric and, and it's here to stay. So it's really nice to see organizations really get curious about what psychological safety is and how they could you know, create this climate so that they can retain the best talent and also achieve their business outcomes like innovation and productivity and, and service. So, uh, you know, I'm really just glad that people are having a conversation about it. And, you know, I look back in my career and as a human resources professional, it was always very difficult to articulate this at the business table, right? And establish a business case for why it was important to create this climate for employees. So the fact that we now have language around it helps HR professionals and talent and learning development professionals go to the table and be able to articulate why this is important. Okay. Why, it's not just hard metrics. Why, why now though? If mm. like, why all of a sudden the push? Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, I, I just really think that COVID has really forced people to rethink their lives. That's true. And, you know, the great resignation is really forcing organizations to look at retention strategies. And like customers, our employees are looking for value. Mm -hmm. So, and one of them, one of the things they're looking for is an environment where they can bring their full selves to work. Okay. So it's not always going to be about money and compensation and benefits and so on. It's what is the experience going to be like for me? And how does that add to my own life? Right. And, and this whole idea of, you know, balance of work and life, it's so integrated now. It is. Right? So it's more like work life integration. So if I'm going to spend more than 50% of my waking hours at work, it better be worth my while. You know, you brought up a good point with COVID. I always, I heard the term crisis is a cradle for innovation. And mm. I mean, let's call it spade a spade. COVID was a crisis globally. And yes. you look at, cultures and how, or not just like culture, I'm talking about work cultures, <laughs> but yeah. when we look at organizational cultures and how, if you weren't innovative before, and all of a sudden you create this environment where like, you don't want to challenge the status quo, all of a sudden challenging the status quo is necessary for survival. Yes. Now you got people are like, what do I do? Cause I've been groomed not to be this way for so many years. You got people freaking out. You don't mm. want to change. And I saw at the very beginning when COVID hit, I was talking to a buddy at a cigar shop. We were watching this series. On, well, I was watching, I was trying to him to watch it's like january of 2020 and uh -huh. right before it really hit us december just hit and i show i saw this uh this show on the science channel called invisible killers is about pandemics and i was like well this is scary and he's like mm -hmm. you, you got to turn that off that's way too real and we started thinking about okay 
this isn't good. If this happens, it's not just going to go away. And at the very beginning, we thought we heard or we saw a lot of people saying, it's okay. We'll, we'll go to, we'll go to work from home for two weeks and then we'll come back. Just leave your stuff here. Just we'll mm. come back two weeks. And I was thinking, uh, no, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Having right. a background in some sort of science and then all the, the community that I'm around where we have a background in science, we knew that this wasn't going to just blow over. And we saw the first resistance of this is no, it's okay. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Just, right. just go down, hunker down, stay safe. But I made the comment to my team. I think uh, I said, I'll see y'all back. It's like March. I said, I'll be, I'll be surprised if we come back before October. Yeah. And they freaked out and they're like, what do you yeah. mean? So we had, and that's what started me thinking. I mean, honestly, a podcasting was where I started that from is because we had to figure out a different way to get content to our learners mm-hmm. rather than having them come into a classroom. So that's what kickstarted the idea for me to, to get into podcasting. And you see how quickly things had to change. And then it's just the innovation that had to happen for you to go from one thing to the next. Right, right. You know, and, and you got me thinking, and I come from the hospitality space. And if there was any industry that got hit hard because of COVID, that's hospitality. Mm. I, mean, I was a victim of that. I lost my job, right? Because we, we, the business wasn't there and managers were getting laid off and we didn't know. And there was so much mystery around this. We didn't know how long this was going to last for. Right. So now that we're coming out of it, we're, we're trying to recover and people are leaving the industry. So there's this retention of talent in hospitality that is so important um, and second of all, it's it's really reinventing how we serve our guests as well in the industry. Yeah. Contactless, you know, and having the QR code to order your meal. So we had to really face some harsh realities that our business has changed. And so that's just as an example. And I'm sure that there are other versions in different industries that have got impacted as well by COVID and how they had to change and be creative and innovative, right, in order to stay competitive. So when we think about psych safety, I, and I'll, I'll, we'll jump back here, and I know we talked about how it's, it's kind of a buzzword lately, but it it shouldn't be. It should be kind of one of those those things that we really take take heed of. But let's talk about the definition of psychological safety. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, first of all, like I always knew deep down when I started my career in human resources that people were the center of bringing your business forward. I mean. You've got to really think about when you look at people's talents and when they bring their energy and their enthusiasm to the workplace, right? That's people. So there are a lot of definitions out there. And and one of them is from Amy Edmondson, who's a Harvard Business School professor. And she defines it as a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. Okay, interpersonal risk taking. So anytime you have groups of people interacting with each other, there's always going to be interpersonal risk-taking. And we'll get into more detail about that um, later on when it comes to social groups. Now, Dr. Timothy Clark, and I love his definition, he's with Leader Factor, who I'm certified with, and he defines psychological safety as a condition where human beings feel first included, safe to learn, safe to contribute, then safe to challenge the status quo, in that order, right? So you could see there that already this need to belong and feel included, which is the first, first piece that's critical in order to stay innovative. So this is this path to innovation, all without fe- being embarrassed or fear of being embarrassed, marginalized, or punished in some way. 
And in fact, I've heard him define psychological safety as rewarded vulnerability. Oh, nice. Yeah. Now, my definition is a little, it's kind of related, but I believe that it's a climate of high trust and belonging that enables people to contribute wholeheartedly and thrive. That's kind of my own personal definition around psychological safety. And, and it's, a, it's a great point, too, because our, our last episode, we talked about failure and how people I mean, the whole premise of this podcast channel is about the fear of failure and what, how we make it safe to think outside the box. And you look at and this is why we why we yeah. had this discussion, because we say, well, hey, you know, psych safety ha- plays a big factor into that. If people feel safe, they feel safe to take risks. And, and you're talking about the interpersonal risk and mm-hmm. they feel safe to take the risk. They don't fear the repercussions because a lot of times, especially now, um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, the job market's hot. But still, it's going through that transition. If I were to take a risk and fail and I lose my job, like, let's right. let's be real, Th- that scares people. Um, and so who wants to go if you're already living paycheck to paycheck? Who wants to go without and missing a paycheck? So people tend to play it safe. And, yeah. and then they just conform. They become part of the culture that they, they, des- they despise. Well, and it's just the way we're wired as human beings. So when you think about the neuroscience out there and the impacts of fear, and, and what that does to your brain, like we, we naturally get into this fight or flight mode. So why would I take a risk and share an idea for fear of being ridiculed or that it doesn't work out? Why would I do that? My brain is designed to help me survive and that's to stay safe. Yeah. So it's easier, right, to just kind of say nothing. It's almost easier to just be silent. Okay. But that's not what's going to progress organizations forward if that's the climate we've created. Right, because you you want to tap into the best ideas and opinions, and maybe even the um, observations of your people that may or may not have benefit to your organization, but be a liability. Yeah, and and it and it really does affect teams as well because you might have that one person. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking to a couple of guys yesterday, and uh, and I'm hoping to have them on a future podcast. So if they listen to this, yeah. maybe they'll enjoy the plug. But they're. <laughs> They're from the military and they are over the Houston Chamber of the Veterans Association here in Houston. And we were we were just having, you know, you can <laughs> the cigar shop conversations you have. There's always always so insightful. But we were mm. talking about this topic and they say, you know, on a team in, in the trenches, you see someone stick their head out of out of a foxhole, they get shot. They're like yeah. the rest of the, the team is like, you know what? I'm not gonna stick my head out of the foxhole because I might get shot. And that's what happens in the corporation. Someone goes against the grain, they have an idea, they challenge the status quo. They get taken out. The rest of the yeah. team is like, you know what? I saw what happened to that dude over there. I'm going to lay yeah. low, put my head in the sand, and just do my job. And, right. then, and then you create this culture to where people just, quote, unquote, do what they're supposed to do. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's easier if people just don't say anything and, and you know, maintain status quo. That's comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. You're going to stay safe. But I think we need to be better at... um kind of handling those threats, if you will, yeah. how we perceive it. Because even even if you challenge your boss, let's say, um, they're going to feel threat that you're challenging their status quo, their comfort. Okay. But if we can start to see um, that this is essential, it's essential to, you know, for the, for the organization to move forward, to stay innovative, stay competitive, but also for your own level of engagement so that you can feel like you're, you're making a very meaningful contribution to the workplace. Yeah. I think it just makes it all that much more enjoyable for everybody to work in that environment. 
and, and thinking about, and I know we keep saying, you know, it's, it's that term we're going to get, we're going to get comfortable saying psychological safety and we'll say psych yeah. safety. Cause I mean, for me, that's, I, I fumble <laughs> over words sometimes. So yeah, yeah. For, psych safety has been around for a while. It's, it's yeah. not something new. And, and no, so, yeah, no, no. Like again, it's been around since the first human interaction, like I mentioned, and Amy Edmondson actually came across psychological safety by accident when she was studying great teams. And what she found with the great, great teams is that they made more mistakes. Mm. So that was really confusing to her. So she dug further deep into it. And what she realized is that the great teams didn't make more mistakes. They were just more willing to talk about it. So I think that, you know, that's what makes a healthy team is being able to say, you know what, I messed up here and I need help to figure out how to work around this. And then for everybody to kind of contribute. I think that's a healthy team, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it's been around a very long time. Now, here's the challenge, right? Because when we look at organizations, the workplace, this is another place where people interact with each other. And certainly in the workplace, we always want to be viewed as competent. Yeah. We want to be viewed as smart, right? And and sometimes, and I've seen this happen, unfortunately, is that sometimes people change who they are just to be accepted. And I think that's really sad in my mind, right? Because they want to, that's, that's our human need is to be accepted. So we start to put the armor on, we start to put the face on, right? And we shield people from who we really are. And I think that's really unfortunate because you're not, you're not benefiting from the authenticity of the talents that people bring to the team. And also, what is? I mean, I've been in that boat. I, I, I guess I would be what you would consider to be neurodiverse, ADHD. Um, okay. Every, <laughs> I, I, I think everyone has a form of ADHD nowadays. But I, at least my doctor told me it was enough to where they're like, you need to be on medication, otherwise you might lose your job, kind of thing. Okay. So I, I quit taking my medication when I switched roles because I, I like where I work now. So, <laughs> um, and I can bring my creative self to work. But there are times mm-hmm. where I felt in my my in previous roles, not like previous role, but just in previous roles where I had to be, I had to fit a mold, if you will. Yes. And although I I was able to provide creative solutions, not and, and we'll talk more about that, but not from the sense of like artistic creativity, but like creative problem solving. I was yeah. able to bring some of that, but with it also came the baggage of being disorganized and all the mm-hmm. stuff that comes along with ADHD. So I also often felt like I had to fit this mold and I, I couldn't bring my full self to work because I, I was, I don't know how to explain. I was like, I was walking on eggshells. It's like, right. who, yes. what detail am I going to miss today that could possibly impact my yeah. career or my trajectory because it was so competitive? People will just stab you in the back any chance they can get. It wasn't that bad. I'm just I'm being I'm being yes. I'm saying a hyperbole. So just to kind of <laughs> illustrate the point. But it was one of those things where I I almost I had to be perfect. And yes. I didn't like that. And it even though I was I liked the what I did, I just felt like every day I went to work, it was a lot more stressful than it needed to be. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that we have so much attachment to how others think of us, right? And when we get so attached to that, then we start to change ourselves. And I'll tell you, like I've worked in both psychologically safe environments and psychologically unsafe environments working in different parts of the world. And there's a huge difference. You can take the same individual, very talented, 
very good at what they do, put them in those two environments and they're going to perform very differently. Oh uh, yeah. I believe that, you know? Yeah. And, and I've worked with leaders who have said, Jane, you need to be more like this or you need to be more like that. And once I started to do that, because I wanted to meet everyone's expectations of how I should be or what an effective leader is, I started to get clumsy. I started to feel like it was so much energy to try to be something I'm not, right? And let's face it, if we are true, inherently true to our nature and showing up to work every day, being true to our nature, that's when we'll, our best will show up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and, you know, in the workplace, unfortunately, we got to really be aware of that in the workplace because that naturally is an environment that gets us really thinking that way, right? That you have to be a certain way. And so this really challenges diversity on your team because you want a diverse diversity on the team, right? Yeah, you do. I mean, you look at like how diversity of backgrounds, cultures, thought, how it impacts the team's ability to quote unquote, break the mold. And if you just surround yourself with a bunch of people that think like you do, you're going to yeah. come up with ideas that you only agree with because, and mm-hmm. sometimes that's, that feels good for me. It's like, oh, okay, because we don't like conflict, so we don't like to push back or resistance. Like, I like that idea. Oh, you like? I like that idea too. Right, right. <laughs> anytime we, yeah. anytime we're in a brainstorming conversation or a brainstorming session, and everyone agrees, I'm like, we have the wrong people in the room. We need to have. That's right. We need to have maybe a little bit of resistance That's to right. say, hey, what, what if we tried? The, maybe not. Maybe on the selection process. Maybe in the brainstorm, you want to get all the ideas out there. But when we're selecting ideas too. Um, have some diversity of thought in there because if we all agree like oh these are all great ideas we need to have somebody in there that that has the backbone to say you know what um yeah. what if let's let's play this out let's let's how would this work in a, and really help us think critically on how this would actually work otherwise we're going to implement a solution that doesn't add value to the customer or the the end user and then we just wasted all this time and then companies are like well innovation's messy you just waste your time no yeah, we just yeah. did it wrong and so <laughs> Exactly. I mean, when you have people that are all the same, what you do is you just you start to do either the same things that you've been doing, but just a little bit better, like you never really challenge. Um, You know, I think it's important to disrupt thought. Um, Otherwise, you become like an echo chamber, right? Just an echo chamber of thought. Yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, I think what is also important to realize is that in the like absence of conflict doesn't necessarily mean a healthy organization. Right? Interesting. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that if we are going to encourage people to come in and challenge each other and be open enough to share our ideas, no matter how wacky they are, I think that sometimes you're going to get disagreements. And if we can just accept that that's a natural part of the innovative and creative process, well, then let's get better at handling differences and conflict. It's not about eliminating conflict altogether, but let's just get well-equipped on how to talk it through. That, to me, is a healthy team. And and having that high trust between the team as well to have. And and that's where I, I think that a lot of organizations may struggle is like well well we need the resistance like okay we got then then they focus on we need people that will just come in and be the bad guy no you need people to come in and provide constructive criticism or mm-hmm. like if i'm going to tell you this isn't going to work that was one one of the best pieces is <laughs> that was one of the best pieces of advice see i told you words uh that a leader gave to me a long time ago they said if you're gonna say somebody's idea sucks i want you to tell them why it sucks 
But I also mm. want you to give them constructive feedback on what you can do to improve on it. Don't just kill the idea. So right. that made me, it made first made me think before I spoke, if I'm going to say that's a dumb idea. Um, I'm going to say, well, what if we thought about it from this view? Or what if we thought about it from that? And I, I wasn't trying to say like, oh, your idea sucks. But it was more, mm. have we thought about this? Asking those, or maybe not have we, but asking those open-ended questions to get the person. Right. And you have like this little idea ping pong where you bounce, the, you go and hit the ball back and forth. And then you come up with like, oh, well, maybe we didn't think about that. Let's, let's, now you have a more bulletproof idea. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and you know, what's really great. The magic comes in when teams start to build off each other's mm -hmm. ideas. Right. And, and making it safe to, oh, tell me more about that. Oh, I never saw it that way. You know, tell, let, let's talk about that. Let's debate that. That is healthy. I believe. Absolutely. I believe it's healthy. Mm -hmm. So we'll use this, we'll use this next topic here to transition to our, our second half of the, the episode, but why is it a focal point? Why is psych safety a focal point in the organizations? Yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Kyle, I think that organizations right now are really challenged to keep their top talent. So this great resignation is really pushing organizations to look at their culture, the work experience of employees, right? Um, and again, it's like our customers, their needs and expectations are changing. So our employees, they're looking for value and psychological safety being one of them. I think what's also important to appreciate is that when people are interacting with each other, not only from an innovative standpoint and ideas creation, right? Psych safety can help drive those great ideas and creativity, but if they're going and they're interacting with your customers, it's important that they feel psychologically safe to take those risks when they're going above and beyond for your customers. Like, again, I come from the hospitality space. So if you've got a server that just went into the kitchen and requested uh, something from the chef and the chef yelled at them, mm. right, it's going to be very hard for that server to go to the table and put on a smile. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, we can't compartmentalize our feelings and our emotions. And traditionally, we've always been kind of trained to keep feelings and emotions out of the workplace. Well, quite honestly, when we talk about engagement, that's an emotional connection to the work that you do. Absolutely. So it's, it's definitely, you know, emotional and there's feelings involved. So what does make people feel safe in the workplace then? Yeah. So I think what's really important is to appreciate that people, everybody has their strengths and talents, right? And when, when you work with people's strengths and talents, what you're doing is you're also valuing their differences and their areas of opportunity, okay? So we tend to have these biases around what an effective leader or top performer is. And we have to be very aware of those biases and appreciate that we all have our own authentic way to be effective. So this really affects how we treat people and consider them for promotions or opportunities, for example. So we need to stay mindful there. At the end of the day, if we're not ourselves, not being true to our, our nature, we won't be our best. So I think that first and foremost, we've got to accept people for their differences. Um, the other thing too is leadership behavior. I think if there's anything that you, you can invest in its leadership capability around creating psychological safety amongst the team. And for leaders to get better at managing those behaviors on the team that don't promote psychological safety. Because if they don't get good at that and they don't hold leaders to a standard, well then what ends up happening is your culture becomes the tolerance of your worst behavior. 
So I think it's really important that leaders get really good at taking notice of individuals. And also when you're making decisions around promotions, make this a criteria. You know, I remember a time when I went to a senior VP about a member of his team who was a senior leader and she was so disrespectful to the people she worked with. And the one thing he said to me is, but Jane, she's very good at her job. And I thought to myself, well, wait a second, as a leader, isn't that part of being good at your job is to have good relationships? So I think we need to get out of this mindset that that being good and competent in the job that you do is not enough. Yeah. Right. And that it's about building good relationships. It's about, you know, sustaining and modeling the culture you want, all of those things. So I think that's a huge shift for some companies. Yeah. And I see that a lot in organizations too, where <laughs> I can go, we can go on for this. This could be yeah. another episode, but sure. Uh, maybe it might, but it, you see people get promoted because they're high performers. Right. And yeah, there's, there's a hypo hyper, um, yes. any, any kind of whatever, but you have high performers. They're great at what they do and they get promoted and then they, they, they suck as a leader. Let's, let's call That's it. Right. They, they don't, they don't manage. They don't, I'm going to say manage people. They don't lead well. They don't lead people. They don't create that, that team environment. And it becomes very, I'm going to say toxic, but it, it really just takes that team. It's like, wow, how did you yeah. get, and then you get the people asking, well, how did you get to, how did you get a leadership position. I know. You, yeah. You might I've seen have, that myself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You'll have people on that team that might be low, like not as a high performer, good, good workers, mm. but they make, they would make a great leader, but they get overshadowed because someone who did really good, they hit their numbers consistently over, overdid their numbers. Yeah. And they're like, you know, we're going to promote you to a leadership position because that's the right. only way we could give you more money. And yeah. I think a lot of organizations, we get, we get that backwards where yeah. you need to look at your leadership skills. Who has the leadership skills on the team? Promote them into leadership positions. Keep your high performers as high performers. Pay them well. So that way, I mean, because let's be honest, sometimes they may not want to be in a leadership position. I've seen that happen too. But that paycheck is very nice. And yeah. they take it. And then now you have Peter's principle coming into effect. That's right. So, exactly. And, you know, and what's really harmful in that in those cases is that Especially when you have, you know, leaders that are coming in, they're not as experienced, but they're seeing this and they're modeling this, right? Because what it signals to people is that if you want to get ahead, be very good at your job. And that, you know, the people power skills, if you will, is secondary. Yeah. And I, I think it's the flip, quite honestly, because you can train people to do the job well in terms of tasks. But when it comes to things like, building relationships and, and inspiring people and influencing them, that's very difficult to teach. Yeah. So I believe that's what se separates great leaders from good leaders, quite honestly. And, and having taught both technical and soft skills as a, as a facilitator, as a trainer, yes. uh, I can tell you that it's, it's a lot harder to teach the soft skills. It's a lot, I want to say it's a lot harder. It's, there's a lot more involved. I mean, you mm -hmm. can, you could swing a hammer, there's really one way to hit a nail with a hammer, right? And right. so there, you teach, you can teach 
proper fundamentals like don't use your arm use your wrist like you can teach the fundamentals but there's a there's a, it's like a binary there's a yes and a no way to doing it when yeah. it comes to soft skills there is like a decision tree and mm-hmm. you're you're kind of <laughs> you're making all these decisions there's little micro transactions in the back of your head of like okay which way do i go with this and when you go down a conversation something happens okay now i gotta figure out okay going from there let's branch off into this area so I always found that teaching and absorbing soft skills was a little bit more um, mentally uh, draining than it was to learn soft, like technical skills. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and these soft skills, if you will, and I, I call them power skills, right? But these soft skills have hard impact because if you've got somebody who becomes disengaged, that's going to show up in the work that they do. Right. People will just deliver enough, right, to keep their job. But if you if you want people to be motivated and engaged, well, then we have to interact with them differently. If we want them to be more creative, we've got to interact with them differently. So as leaders, I think we, we don't realize the impact that we have on the work experience of our employees. And we've got to be mindful there. And I know, so I know we're going to talk about leader, uh, how we can create a a more psychologically safe environment and on our third episode of this series. And so I'm really, I'm really excited to get to that. One thing we could think about as we wrap up this episode is how can psych safety really impact creativity? Yeah. So, you know, if you really think about the neuroscience again around fear, okay. So that we're in this fight or flight mode. Okay. And the brain again has, has evolved to help us survive. And When we're in this stress mode, it actually inhibits creativity Mm. because the body is releasing cortisol, which is the body's response to stress. So forget innovation and forget creativity if we're always in this fight or flight mode or high stress work environment. Although I do think that some level of stress is needed to keep people motivated. Yeah. Okay. So, so. If people are coming to work and we're already going into work with high anxiety, I mean, like if you look at the statistics, the World Health Organization, since COVID-19, they're saying that anxiety and depression is increased by 25%. So we're already going into work stressed. Mm. Why make work add to that? Right. You know, so that's how it affects creativity, because I'm not going to think clearly if I'm in this stress mode. Now, on the flip side of it, when there is psychological safety, you're in a calm state. It's what what I call the flow state, right? The Mm -hmm. learning zone, if you will. And in fact, this actually encourages more creativity when you're in this flow state. Have you ever been so relaxed that you've come across a great idea in your mind? Or if you were making a really difficult decision that when you're in a calm state, the answer comes to you? Yeah, right? That's because you're in flow. Yeah. So if you're in this reactive, stressed out state, you're not going to reach clarity. So this is why things like meditation is very important, taking a walk, right? So get yourself to calm state because that's when you get the best ideas. And in fact, in this state, people are more empathetic as well. And they're more grateful. And that's a good point too, because we, one of the things I, I like to reference is the writer's block when it comes to not not necessarily innovation, but just being creative. And I, we don't mean creative in the sense of artistic, like paintings and, and videos yes. and graphics. That That is also That's creative great. too. But creativity in the sense of I need to be able to problem solve. I need to be able to think outside the box. And sometimes you have like that writer's block where you're mm-hmm. in that stressed environment where there's a crunch, there's a timeline. 
And sometimes you can, you can hash it out. You're like, you know, I handle stress well. I work well under stress. But then there's those times where you have that writer's block and you take the walk mm-hmm. or you, you're in the shower, like, boom, the idea hits you. We call that the aha moment, the light bulb yeah. moment. Yeah. And yeah. I, I always, I, it happened to me once. I had an idea when I was going through an escape room, um, just wasn't even thinking about work. I'm like, hey, this would be great if we could do an escape mm-hmm. room for leadership development. Like, we never would have thought of that. Uh, and then I got back to the office and I said, well, how do we make this work? Um, yeah. And then I was like, that was a whole journey on its own. But it was, it was just one of those things to where I wasn't even thinking about it. And then the idea was just like, huh, what if we tried? Because like the innovation, right? I wasn't, I wasn't inventing something. I was taking what's already been done and then applying it in a pragmatic way to the domain that I had knowledge of. And right. that's, it brought a lot of value to the, our, our, our learners. But you look at how I was in a, and I, maybe I was stressed in, in an escape room. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. But I wasn't stressed yeah. in the nor- the sense that I should have been stressed when thinking about how do we come up with a new way to engage leaders? I wasn't right. thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you felt safe to be able to take some risk there. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Like you don't want to stifle innovation. And, and I think too, um, when it comes to the workplace, we've, we've got to appreciate people's levels of creativity mm-hmm. throughout times of the day. Like I know I'm most alert and creative in the morning. Oh yeah. Okay? Yeah. Or after dinner. So I think when, when it comes to the hybrid work model, right, we're, we're very like, okay, you've got to be at work from nine to five. And in the knowledge worker age, when we're trying to tap into people's minds and hearts, like we can't just switch that on, right? Like we've got, we've got to be able to have autonomy to decide when am I most creative? If, if I'm, I'm stumbling upon, upon a project, I will take a break mm-hmm. because there's no point in me sitting there trying to force myself to come up with ideas. So when I go and I take a break, whether it's take a walk, I'll relax and then the ideas will come to me. And I always am more productive when I come back. So when are you, when, when is Jane most creative? I'm, I'm going <laughs> to ask you that question. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I'm most creative in the morning. I get up at five 30 in the morning and, you know, my husband's still sleeping. So I've got that quiet time here in the morning to myself. So I usually do a little bit of yoga and meditation every day. Um, and I find that, um, when I'm, when I'm doing that, I, I have some really thought provoking things. So I've got my phone here and I'll type up some notes and it just comes to me. It's not something forced, right? Yeah. Um, but I do have a creative side to me. I, you know, I do crafting, mm-hmm. which I haven't had much time to do lately, but I just love it because that in itself for me is meditative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes it depends. Sometimes I'm I'm the most creative after dinner at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depends. That's awesome. And when is Kyle most creative? Uh, I would say around 7 p.m. Central time. Um, okay. <laughs> but I tend to be most creative at when it's dark outside. Yeah. And that could be at, and, and, and we're in the, the central time zone in the United States, but uh, it could be anywhere from 8 p.m. And I've also been creative at 3 a.m. So, okay. yeah, there, it really depends. I think for me, when it's dark outside, because if it's, if it's light outside, I will, there's things I know I need to be doing outside, like mowing the yard or like I can right. I take the dog for a walk or whatever. But when it's dark, I, I tend to hunker down. And I think that comes from like my video gaming experience sure, where sure. I play most of my video games when it's nighttime. And so yeah. I, and I can go on and on about how certain games have stimulated my ability to be creative. 
um, and yeah. think about like good storytelling tactics or mm-hmm. um, not just like the, the, the first person shooter games. Like, no, the, I don't really play those as much anymore, but it's more of like mm-hmm. story driven games. How right. do you take, how do you transport yourself into a different environment? Right. But also right. for me, I looked at how I did that for my learners when I created content. So yeah. I also found that very helpful for me. So maybe that's why, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, back to your point there, Kyle, about uh, creativity, it's not necessarily artistic, if you will, like a mm-hmm. painting and so on. I think in the workplace that if you can take a, a problem and think of it differently or find a way to work around right? That's creativity. That's just challenging your mind to look at things differently and, and be creative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. be, got to be comfortable getting out of that comfort zone. It's no, yes. no growth in the comfort zone and no comfort in the growth zone. So absolutely. You're right. You're All right. right. This wraps up this episode of Thought Pioneering next month. Oh my God, already? I, I know it's, it's coming in. Yeah. <laughs> So what we'll do next month, I'll have Jane back here as we build off of this episode and do part two of this series and talk about psychological safety as it relates to individual contributors in the workplace. So you definitely don't want to miss that. If you like this episode, please feel free to smash that like button and share this podcast with your friends and family. And if you want to be notified when we launch more content from this channel, then go ahead and ring that bell icon to receive the alerts when the new episodes drop. We'll see you next time on Thought Pioneering.